The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai, hoki mai kia The Fold, e mihi nei ko Duncan Greed toku ingoa. Welcome to The Fold uh, for another week. I have today as my guest uh, Mariama Alexander who is the head of premium at the New Zealand Herald, which just recently celebrated its second birthday. Herald Premium is is its reader revenue program. It's the, the hard paywall that went up around its best journalism a couple of years ago. And this this is something that the Herald has been talking about for a long, long period of time. I think it, well, there was actually a version of it ready and waiting for a button to be pushed, I actually have a have a memory of basically encountering what I felt like was a, a sort of a soft version of it or like a test version of it in the wild in like 2014. Uh, apparently, the, the you know the the rumor has it that uh, that Jane Hastings, who was Michael Boggs' predecessor as uh, CEO, didn't like the idea, wanted to go pure mass market, and that sort of set them back a few years, but. Well, whatever the sort of origin stories are, the, they certainly were the first major publisher in New Zealand to put up a paywall. And they chose quite a curious model, to my mind, that won't be a surprise to kind of regular readers of mine or listeners to this podcast, that I you know, find the hard paywall uh, just, a, just a difficult model to get my head around in the sense that if there is no ability to, for non-subscribers to access your best content, then your free content, you're relying on your free content to advertise that. And, you know, to, to me, having some, like, ability for people to see what your best work looks like to hit, and then to hit a, a, a hard paywall to go over makes more sense. But the Herald is committed to this, though. As Mary says, there is a very much a never-say-never never on that, and, and, you know, you can almost hear in in her response that there there might be change coming in the next year or two but regardless as as she rightly says this this has been a very successful program they've got uh, 102,000 digital subscriptions which includes uh, some print subscribers who have taken up the the conversion that is what a digital transition starts to look like in in uh, in the New Zealand context she would it wouldn't be drawn on on numbers, and you get the sense that they're a few years away from that that beautiful moment that the New York Times had a few years ago when reader revenue outpaced advertising revenue. And once that Rubicon is passed, you you're never likely to go back. And certainly, you know, our experience on the spinoff, where we probably have somewhere around fifty percent of our editorial costs are, are covered by our members. You you need that. You know there is no world in terms of a pure digital product, which ultimately, you know, much as they they are still a print driven organisation for now, there will come a day when they 
you know, stop publishing the uh, the, the Herald in various um, parts of its print, print edition. So you are trying to build a bridge to, to that future, and that future absolutely inevitably involves an ongoing commitment from your readership to, to fund you. Um, and that's been Murray's job the past couple of years. So we talked about that, about the challenges of that, about the relationship with, with social media, about... The, the, the big challenge, which I, we didn't get into enough, but I, I think is a really pregnant one for the media at the moment, which is how do you diversify your audiences? I think a lot of New Zealand's mainstream media, mainstream has been a code for Pākehā media, and both in terms of the sort of different ethnic communities and, and also increasingly younger audiences, they just aren't particularly being well served by our media. And that's just that's a big challenge that is a thread throughout the fold, but also something that the Herald is uh, confronting and you know, Mary uh, intimated it's very much front of mind for the moment. They've recently appointed a, a head of diversity, for example. Talked about ZB and how there is a tension there, as I observe, between the sort of strong you know, right-wing opinion leading on the Herald, which, which ultimately exists as a gatekeeper to the quite a different offering on the premium side. But mainly this is this is about the Herald Premium and subscription-driven models in general. So I think uh, it's, it's you know, they, they've certainly got the most sort of sophisticated and evolved version of that in the local market, and so uh, there's, there's a lot to get into there. The Fold is uh, proudly supported by Vodafone. Incredibly grateful uh, to, to Vodafone for allowing me the privilege of talking to so many different kinds of people in our media. Uh, we are a Vodafone for business customer, and uh, our, our business would be unimaginable without a very fast, very reliable internet connection. And so if you're in the market for one, go take a look at vodafone.co.nz. This is Mariana Alexander, Head of Premium at the New Zealand Herald on the Fold. Kia ora and welcome to The Fold, Mary. Hi, how are you, Duncan? I'm very, very good. I'm very good. I, though we were just talking before and we were remembering, reminiscing about a year ago uh, when things were very bad. And I thought, let's, let's maybe start, start there. Because, yeah, I think we were either just about coming to the tail end of, of the first big lockdown last year. And the, it's so easy now, a year on, to kind of, just to, to sort of abstract that and to, to feel, to, to sort of forget that, that notion. But there really was a sense that literally everything was on the table for uh, New Zealand's media back then. Do you, do you want to sort of cast your mind back there and how, how that felt to you? Sure. I, I know that we were reminiscing, but to me, reminiscing has always felt kind of quite nicely nostalgic, whereas I think this time last year was truly a time where I thought, probably for the first time in my career, and you know, I've been around a while, that actually anything could happen. I do remember sitting during lockdown at my kitchen table, my work from home space, and kind of um, bursting into tears when I got the Bauer news. And yeah, that kind of crystallised to me that this was a you know a crisis time, obviously, but that anything could happen, and it felt that a very, um, you know, it was a really perilous time, and in, in, an, in an industry which has been you know financially challenged for some time, that here we were, and suddenly anything really could happen. I mean, the people, I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what the the sort of business side of 
journalism, particularly print journalism, looks like. Because I remember buying, there was a particular issue of the Sunday Star Times that I bought and I did an ad count looking for anything, you know, like what, what could be a paid ad. And I think I came to six in the whole thing. Is that this time last year? This was, I think, in early April of last year. And it wasn't, you know, that wasn't radically different to what was happening in the Herald. So as much as your your job is premium, and we'll talk about that shortly, the the lifeblood of publishing um, news media still remains advertising. That's correct, right? Yeah, and, and print and digital, that is obviously the dominant revenues. And look, I think it, you know, it was a crisis, right? And what we didn't know was how long would we be in crisis for? And so understandably, advertisers were being incredibly careful with their spend and, and revenues you know, almost disappeared overnight. And I guess us and many media companies had to respond to that because we didn't know how long that situation would last. And therefore, we had to try and manage our way through that. And and thankfully, um, you know, again, appreciating that when this crisis isn't over, we bounced back from that pretty well. And it didn't, it wasn't, they didn't disappear forever and for a very long time, but they started coming back and, and our teams, commercial teams were working really hard in that space. But but you're right, the advertising revenues were incredibly compromised. And, and that's kind of why we and, you know, many other publishers in the world have increasingly been looking to read a revenue because we need to, you know, we need that to continue to sustain journalism. Mm. Again, so we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. On the advertising side, the thing that has, you know, really struck me over the past year is is the fact that we have seen the end of the front page. <laughs> Harvey Norman, are you Harvey saying? Norman just own it all. And, and I, I heard that it was that there's an amazing story behind, it and there was like a single person who said we're going to take that real estate and have stayed with it. So it's obviously working for them. And on one level, I feel like they should maybe be, like, you know, given some kind of New <laughs> Year's honour um, for, for you know, their, their sort of civic duty. No doubt they got a commercial payout as well. But but on the other, I'm like, the front page as a, you know, like the, that, the way of sort of setting the tone and agenda for, for the paper and of, of that moment. I miss it. How, how, what's your sort of relationship it's, with yeah, that? It's been interesting, isn't it? There was a joke going around that Harvey Norman was the most bylined journalist of 2020 on the front <laughs> page, and I think that's probably true. Um, well, look, on the one side, incredible support for journalism, but let's not um, pretend that it was altruistic, you know, that it really did work for Harvey Norman, and that's why they continued to buy the front pages and inside spreads um, and, and newspapers up and down the country, not just the Herald. And so we have heard anecdotally that they were they got incredible results from doing that, and, and you know that's obviously why they continued to doing that. I hear what you say about the front page. When I used to edit the um, our weekend papers, I really hated, you know, ha- I didn't hate it because that's too strong a word. I really, um, I loved trying to sell my papers at the weekend as well because I think that's the job of an editor. I do think that um, increasingly for us at the Herald, you know, the majority of our um, of our sales are to subscribers. So actually that front page, which I very much saw as the showcase of what's inside and look, buy this great paper because you've got so much great reading in it, became um, less uh, of, a, of, a, of a, you know, it used to be, for example, when there was a great competitive Sunday market, Sunday Star Times here on Sunday, selling on the newsstands, selling much bigger in retail space, whereas now the majority of our sales uh, are to subscribers, so they're getting, they're getting the paper home delivered. So in terms of the imperative to sell, I, I didn't really like losing that. And, and look, we've got a great commercial team that we work really closely with. So if it's a big event, we don't have the front page kind of wrapped because if it's an election day or a big other news event that we know is on, 
on, we'll we try and work around that. And and also when other big stories break, we, we, we've got a mechanism where we're able to pull them because obviously advertisers don't necessarily want to be in that space and we want the front page to be the front page. So, yeah, I hear you, but don't forget it wasn't that long ago that advertising was the front page in, in daily newspapers up and down the country. It's true, it's true. <laughs> the, the thing that... Um well, just, just sort of on that, just to pick my own interest, during that the, the sort of heyday of the Sunday Star Times Herald on Sunday uh, wars, like what was the... What, wars, what, did you say? Well, I mean, <laughs> what, whatever, whatever you like to call I always get in trouble for calling, for calling everything a war, but it's just a... <laughs> it's a great word. Well, it, it's just helpful in terms of <laughs> framing things. I'm not a militarist. <laughs> Don't cancel me. Yeah. The... Um, but but what kind of a fluctuation would you see between like a fantastic like humdinger of a story versus where you totally tanked it? Um, I'd like to think that we never totally tanked it. But look, unbelievably, I mean, not unbelievably, believably, there are obviously um, different topics and the, you know issues that resonate and and. They kind of changed over time. You know, I do think um, I wasn't at the host then. I was at the Sunday Star Times. There was quite a celebrity emerging, you know, and people were interested in and would buy that for, you know, a later story of some of the celebrity of the moment. I, I know that um, property was then and remains today an incredibly interesting topic for people that people will buy um, buy for. Um, I do think that, you know, some of the personal finance stuff, people care about the KiwiSaver, some of those kinds of things um, would do that. But I think... Back back early on when it was a you know the the was a war or a big um, big great weekly fight, um, the front page was really important to sell the paper. But I think it was more than that. It was what else you would find inside. And I think you know they were trying to be different newspapers. You know the Sunday Star Times was trying to be um, a broad you know national um, broadsheet, and it was because it sold up and down the country. The Herald on Sunday was a Tarpo North, you know, lively brash upstart, which was appealing completely to Aucklanders and some of their um, predilections around property and celebrity. And that that really worked. Mm. I mean, and that was in some ways the, not the last golden era, but certainly like the a period where the old model was still working and firing on most, if not all, cylinders. Yet your new role kind of points to the fact that the uh, new role—it's it's coming up <laughs> three years on now—but like you said, it's gone by in, in a flash. To to what where you know. Let's talk about premium. What your, your your role as head of premium? What what does that mean? It's it's not a, a purely editorial role, but to explain to, to our audience, what, you know, what, sure. what you do. Yeah. So I started in this role, um, kind of leading the project to introduce premium um, uh, to our business, and that I really actually enjoyed that. It was my first management of a big project, and I really enjoyed the um, commercial elements. You know, it was everything. It was commercial marketing. It was largely a tech project actually, because we had to introduce a, a new um, model of technology to our website which was incredibly complex and it had to be a great customer journey. We all know that the less friction is best in terms of um, a great customer experience so um, there was a lot of discussion and meetings around how it would look, how it would, um, what the customer flow would be, all that kind of stuff, which was completely had not been my world. But look, I do think we had a great team working on it. But I think it was right to have um, an editorial person running the project because this was something for our audience, and we had to put our audience front and centre. So the 
first part of that job was running that project to introduce um, premium to um, to the market, and then this after we kind of launched and the madness of that, those you know few weeks afterwards, um, it's now a kind of interesting mixture. And I don't know that there's anything another role like it in New Zealand by the nature of what we do, but it's a mixture of editorial and driving the content because I feel like I was um, I was lucky enough just before I took over the project to be in the UK and got to go and visit lots of the you know the great um, publishers over there the Telegraph, the FT, the Times and they were very generous in sharing with me their models, how things worked, um, tips for starting, don't do this, do do this. And I found that incredibly beneficial. I found that when I'd come back, I felt like I had a really good head start of having my head in the space because I didn't have anywhere else in New Zealand I could look to to learn from. So I felt like we'd picked up a whole lot of great intel. Um, and so my job then once we'd launched was to really focus hard on the right kind of content because fundamentally people will buy our subscription and only stay if they're satisfied with what we're giving them. So we ha- we I work very closely with a lot of our kind of section heads, head of business, head of sport, political editor, the news leaders, because it is about ensuring we have a great menu of premium content. And, you know, as we were discussing before, the thing about a digital publishing platform is it's never ending. And, and you know, you could throw um, hundreds of pieces of content at it a day, but actually, is that the right strategy? We've got to make sure we're stopping and slowing down and investing in some time to be able to really do some deep dives and bring quality to the table. So um, it's very editorially focused. It's also a lot of strategy. So so what's working um, in terms of uh, the content, but also um, the customer journey, the experiences, the feedback we get from people about the tech side of things. It's also um, other content thing, other content areas we should be looking at and I've become increasingly interested in you know in the data and the science around engagement because as we know engagement is key to keeping again our audience happy and so Yes, they can. We can sell them a sub, um, and they they might want to buy a sub because it's a good deal, or they see a story they want, um, or they think there's great work there. But actually, whether we keep them or not depends on what they then find once they've joined us. So, so we do put a lot of effort and in, in time into making sure that we're delivering a good experience and. We launched without what you could potentially say was all the bells and whistles, and again, that was something that we'd been um, very much encouraged to do from the overseas publishers who'd said, you'll feel like your proposition is never perfect, but if you don't start, you don't start. So get on and get started, and you can refine and add and continue to develop as you, you know, once you're in play. And I think, you know, that's probably true of all of those great publishers who have been on for a decade or more, and they're continually developing their offering and their strategy. And so... I've become really interested in the data. It's really interesting to see what you can get and what you can see the audience um, engaging with us. We've done things like, obviously... After introducing Premium, my next but kind of biggest project in that space was um, re-getting the app, um, getting a new app, and so we re- redesigned the app, and it's much better functionally. We've got additional features for subscribers because we believe they should get um, those if they pay us, so they, there is increased functionality for that. Then we went on to do things like introduce commenting late last year because we know that our customers want to have uh, you know some really good functionality as part of their subscriptions, and you know just personally I've been really thrilled with commenting where they are. Comment- Commenting subscribers are our most engaged audience segment on our site. So they spend the longest time every time they come to us with us. And and I guess that makes sense, right? Because they're coming, they're reading a story they're interested in, they're having their say on it, they're engaging in a conversation with other people about it, and suddenly, you know, 20 minutes has gone by. Yeah. So the the do you, do you know what the sort of ratio of premium to non-premium, do you, do you have a name for the... 
non-premium <laughs> stories. <laughs> we don't call it non-premium. I mean, I think, look, in all seriousness, the thing, one of the things that I really liked about introducing premium is a real focus on quality and, yeah. and irrespective of whether a story is, um, is a premium story or is available to our, you know all of our audience, we want to win with quality. And so mm. I think that's been another really encouraging thing personally from um, my point of view and, and the newsroom's point of view is that there has been a focus on quality and making sure that everything we do is quality so that, you know, that our experience is, is good for everybody because let's face it, you know, the subscribers aren't just reading the premium content, they're reading the other news of the day and the other free content. So that is that is you know, been something that we've really focused on. So in terms of um, percentages, the vast majority of our content is freely available to mm. everyone on the site and the premium content it differs by, you know, vertical and um, and uh, you know, and, and depending on the, the news of the day and what else is going on. So there's not so much a, you know, a, you know, fifty fifty or whatever. It's just it's the, that we've undertaken that the majority of our content stays free. So at least you know, sixty to seventy percent of the content that we produce every day is free. And roughly, how many sort of premium stories would you get for your your subs, you know, as a subscription? As a, as hundreds a, and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> You'll never read it all. There's so much. No, look. In all seriousness, I, one of the things that's on my mind is, you know, is how much because actually it is. You know, people have only got so much time in the day, totally. right? And and we, you know, we we um, know that people aren't just coming to the Herald. There's so many great media companies in New Zealand and the world where you can get information from. And and personally, I think you're not just kind of competing for people's attention around news. It's their life and what mm. else is on Netflix tonight and all those kinds of things. So I think that one of the things that we are looking, at, you know, that we try and do and we keep talking about it and we've got to um, do it some more is slowing down. So we used to publish way more stories a day just overall than we than we do now because we a we're saying let's slow down we have got a commitment to quality quality takes time so so pick winners we know that we uh, must do the news of the day and the big important announcements and the breaking stories but actually increasingly our focus is on our unique journalism and that is what our team can bring to the table and and I and I think we don't need to you know I think we've been you know used to in in the fast-paced news environment you know changing up the front page if you like you know dozens of times a day and I think we it all you know it's on us to actually stop and slow down and go normal people don't come to our website a hundred times a day and so again in the data space I'm really interested at looking at our peak times and and you know planning when we drop our content at the right time of the day to get people's attention but also not doing this great piece of work that we, you know, that we take a, you know, a couple of months to do and, and it drops it and then it's gone. Just flash you know? through the, ho- yeah. the homepage. And people miss it. And actually, you know, one of the most um, interesting things has been, you know, because again, speaking to the time challenge, um, the first Christmas that Premium was on, and as we know, journalists like to pack up and get out the door, and so we've got skeleton staff and then having a rest after a big hard year, of course. So I was quite worried the first year about Premium and thinking, this is when people have got time to read. I really want to showcase our great work. And so what we did was make this plan to bring back our evergreen content mm. or the content that we'd done during the year that was related to something newsworthy with a note on it to say this is our... And, you know, it went, it went really, really well. And that reminded me that actually not everybody has got time every day to read dozens and dozens of pieces of content so let's bring it back and we do that now not just at summer but we'll think about what you know if something happens and we've re- we've done this piece on it let's bring that back and people can have a look at it and and that works really well as a strategy which is also nice because it used to be didn't it that people would get the front page of the print edition and go great and then but then that's the next day it's gone you're online potentially on the home page for an hour and gone so that's what we really want to do is slow down let our great journalism be showcased and get people let people get a chance to read it. In terms of the actual, the, the fundamental sort of design thinking of it or, or 
Yeah, the, the way that it is presented to, to your audience. So a decision that was made very early on was to have the majority of your content be free and then the remainder behind a hard paywall, which, you know, the... Is, is not probably the, the dominant, you know, the, there tends to be like a freemium model where there might be one or two stories, uh, you know, or, or like an elastic number of stories that are available to sure. to everyone. And then once you hit that number, so that you can show the best of your journalism to the largest possible audience, but also when you hit a that, that paywall, that's when you will be prompted to sign up. The Herald's got a different route, which is a big majority free um, mm-hmm. for, forever for everyone and then another part which is hard paywall that you can never see well you can see when you buy some well, which uh, is so worth it but this you. is I, well, <laughs> look I, I agree that it's worth it I've been a subscriber <laughs> since day one but thank you um, I do oh it's just it's a good service but but there is a, a I, I've always felt like a contradiction there in that your very best work, is invisible to the um, to an audience that that you know to, to people who aren't already subscribers who are seeing what is obviously your you know irrespective of the emphasis on quality it's not as good as what's behind the paywall otherwise you'd charge for it uh, so have, have you ever had cause to doubt that or what what what's what, why the, the sort of continued commitment to that sure. model? so look I, I'm I am really interested in the models I think you know just about every single publisher that I can think of in the world started one way and ended up experimenting and I think that's kind of a logical thing right to do that and so yes we made that decision you know quite early in the piece um, and look I think we'd have to say given the success in the first two years it's worked it's working really well for us I think though that we should be c- continuing to to watch the model and have a look at it. As you say, there's lots of different kinds of models in the world. And, and you know, I guess in time we may too change ours because that's kind of what publishers do. But but at the moment, that's that's the model that we um, have subscribed to ourselves, if you like. And, and it is working for us. I, I hear you, though. I do think, you know, and there's lots of, particularly early on, but still every now and then people will go, oh, should this be, you know, is this a premium piece? And, and I've, not surprisingly given my role, tried to be quite protective of premium because I think our audience is paying... Mm. Um, us and they should get the very best work as a result of that. And look, I think it was interesting, particularly early on, when not surprisingly there was quite a bit of, um, oh my goodness, is this going to work? And you're a lot of dreaming if you think anyone's going to pay you for this. And obviously I'm really glad that we've managed to prove them wrong. But I think that we do have to, we have a lot, we do have a lot of conversations about it. One of the things that I am fond of saying is it is no different from people buying the newspaper, which they've bought the Herald in print for, you know, 150 plus years now. And it's the same thing. We didn't give the Herald away for free. So as you and I both know, good journalism costs lots of money. And I'm personally really proud that we've come up with a solution to help sustain and fund journalism into the future. That doesn't mean if you said to me, would this be the model forever? I, I wouldn't put my hand on my heart and say that it was because I think it's on everyone to be um, to be flexible and nimble and react to to change. And, and I can't think of one single publisher, as I mentioned, who's started this way and kept that way forever. You know, everyone, the New York Times, UFT, everyone's experimented with the freemium, the freemium hybrid, hard paywalls, all those kinds of things so those kinds of things will continue to be on the table because you know at two years it's gone in a flash it also feels like forever but you know we are kind of one minute past midnight on our on our in our journey if you like and there'll be this is just the start so I'd be really surprised if in time that didn't change but right now that's the model that we're committed to. 
The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Are there things that have sort of surprised you in terms of, I know that when you announced that there was a kind of a strong sense of politics, sports and business being the um, the sort of likely to be big drivers and, and converters. And I've heard sort of anecdotally that sports maybe hasn't been as strong, but obviously you know, business is something you seem to have continually re- resourced up. You know, ha- to, to what, what has the data shown you in terms of the big conversions, whether it's sections or even individuals. I've heard, for example, that, that Matthew Hurden is just like a super converter, oh, even though yeah. that's opinion. Um, yeah, right. Um, we've got lots of some super converted you know, staff members and journalists, which, again, I think is really encouraging. In fact, there's often, I hear, and it quite, kind of makes my heart sing, there's a bit of competition between some of the journos in there about who who was most read by subscribers that week or most converting. But, um, you know, look, I, yeah, I... I suppose I was a deep believer in this from the outset and I was kind of looking at the world thinking definitely, you know, that that business and politics were going to lead the way. But it has been quite widespread and that news and sport do really work. Sport tends to be around a big event, so not surprisingly, for example, the America's Cup content really converted because a big event is on and people are really interested mm. in it. But but rugby as a topic continues to be a strong performer for us. Again, you could say not surprising because New Zealanders love their rugby and the people that really love it, you know, that love it really love it. So um so there are there are I think the thing that I've liked is has is has been seeing that wide range of conversions. And so again, not surprisingly, because I've mentioned property before in terms of selling a newspaper, property remains something that people are deeply interested in New Zealand because it's so interesting, problematic. It's people's personal wealth is tied up in it, right? And people, all people are really struggling to try and get on the ladder and want to read all about it, the latest government announcements, all those things. So, so I think that the stuff that worked at the beginning just continues to work for us. Um, I feel like I need to turn my mind to the lifestyle and entertainment space because we have been very heavily driven in the you know the new sport mm. business politics space because that has been um, you know that has been what I can see would be the key success at the beginning so we needed to make sure that we were really on the game in that space and continue to be but I do feel like there's a lifestyle and entertainment and entertainment opportunities where because we have great content that is very print focused at the moment if you think about the vivas and the canvases and although that kind of great content um, I think lifestyle and entertainment could be you know is, is something that we haven't really Managed to um, put a great focus on digitally yet, but should. And, and again, I one of the things that is on my mind about getting all our great content in front of people is that personalisation because we produce so much great content every single day that no one will read all of it because we just don't have the time. So my, one of my things at the moment is thinking about how do we get that content resurfaced and how do we get it to the people that want it. And, and you know, like your great bulletin, you know, newsletters are a great part of the strategy. So. I think what I really want to take some time to look at coming up is how do we get our great content to the people that want it and, and, and the way they want it because 
you know the ho- the f- the f- you know the fifteen top spaces on our homepage on the website are hotly contested by everyone's pitching to get their stuff there, and we can't fit everything. So some things will not make the homepage at that particular moment in time, but there's no reason they can't come back. So that's that's one of the things that I think that you know I should be looking at and focusing on coming up. In terms of your the competitor set, like Business Desk is obviously a year old, but has really kind of put a lot of energy into it, uh, you know, which is also a, a sort of a paywall slash premium product, where staff has gone in a very different direction in terms of its, um, you know, sort of donation, more Guardian style approach. Do, do, does premium but by its nature lend itself towards more kind of viewing its competitor set as people who are in the hard paywall business or do you still sort of feel that normal kind of cross-town rivalry with stuff even though the business models are now increasingly uh, divergent? Different, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I you know personally think when we, st- we started, didn't we, talking about the fact that this time last year things were seemed vastly different and quite stark and where were we going to end up? And I feel that it's great that we're in this position, you know, 12, 13 months later. I, I personally believe that we really need a healthy media environment. Co- competition is great, you know, and that we should... Um, that there should be a range of um, great, strong competitors, and there are. And so I think that there is just natural competition amongst all the great um, publishers that we have in New Zealand. So I don't personally think, you know, that just because we're premium that, you know, our competitors are the business desk, for example, at all. I think that we are trying to provide, we're a small country, we're trying to provide great content to New Zealand. You'll have seen that recently. You know, we had a big marketing push, you know, New Zealand's Herald, and that's really Mm. what we want to be. And so, you know, the onus is on us to produce great content that resonates across the country, so um, I, I love a healthy media environment. I'm really glad that you know that we've got these co- that media companies are still all here. When we thought last year, what may or may not happen, so great to see magazines coming back. Um, I think all of that just makes a really healthy media ecosystem. And for me, it's not about oh, someone asked for a donation. I fundamentally think that reader revenue is the way of the future, and and in fact, it puts a value on journalism which it deserves. And that um, that I hope that everyone is enjoying the success that we are because we want a healthy the media environment right and that's the way to help sustain that. It's interesting you, you talk about New Zealand's Herald which I think um, you know makes a lot of sense but one thing that and this is not necessarily just the Herald it's, it's true of the mainstream media um, as, as a whole us included at times is that we haven't necessarily been as good at reaching more diverse communities younger communities um, and so on which is quite apart from the sort of moral imperative of doing journalism for everyone, there's also a, a commercial imperative in that you're necessarily shrinking the available pool. Do, do, to what extent does thinking about how to access, serve communities that haven't necessarily been part of the, the kind of core thinking of, a, of largely Pakeha newsrooms historically, how, how much has that been folded into the Herald and into into premiums thinking? Yeah, absolutely. It, it entirely is. And I think I know that, you know, from talking to senior newsroom leaders up and down the country, that's on everyone's mind, right? Because as we were discussing earlier, it is actually... Um, 
you know, it's become increasingly hard to attract people into journalism, and, and so that, and as a, and, a, and as part of that, is, is is that if you don't see your communities reflected in the media, do you want to be part of it? So, we, like everyone, are putting a large focus on this. We recently um, employed, uh, well, employed Lois works in our newsroom. We recently appointed a head of diversity, and one of Lois's um, mandates is to look exactly at that, is to to look at the content that we are producing in that space, but also to work with partners because we are very aware that we don't. Have have um, all the answers and it is difficult to attract um, to talent into, into the newsroom in that space. So she's working, she works closely with the likes of Mario TV and, and looks at for partnerships for some of that content. So increasingly that is exactly what we want to do and and, and, we're, and she's very, she knows way more than I, and I and she'd probably be a great um, interview with you but you know some of those partnerships and communities she's looking to be able to um, get, get in contact with and communicate to be able to bring them closer to us and work with us because you're right, that's on us. And, and I think that that's um, it's, that also speaks to the rest of the country, and that we've tra- the Herald particularly has been a very traditional Tapo North publisher, where that's where we've been forever, and we're trying really hard to extend our footprint across the country. And we've um, resourced up in our Christchurch office, for example, to be able to extend into the, the South Island coverage. But that is that those issues are very much top of mind for us in our newsrooms because, as you say, journalism for all, and and that's you know that's a real challenge for us at the moment, both in terms of um, having ethnically diverse newsrooms and the content that we produce but I think that it's really important and right that it should be top of mind and, and it's just again the beginning of a I, I hope which will be a really um, beneficial um, role and important role for us at the Herald for sure. Is there a tension in, in, some of, in terms of some of the stuff and just more broadly in that you have in ZB a, a juggernaut um, within talk, talk radio that is and, and you know that creates opinion-driven content, which is often sort of very high, and and I'm sure very highly performing on the free side of the Herald homepage, but also by its very nature is very polarizing. In that, and you do see quite frequently just you know um, people on social media and and you know in conversation sort of saying that they would never subscribe to the Herald because of that Mike Hosking, who is actually basically. You know, he he works for another organisation. In fact, is quite frequently a, a critic of the Herald and its journalism sometimes, which is absolutely his right, while also featuring in in its pages. Do you do, do you think having greater separation of the ZB and Herald brands might help you in with, with premium and and uh, you know, or, or do you sort of get that feedback uh, too? Look, we our news teams work really closely together. I mean, you, I think have you been into our newsroom? That you can see that the yeah. the live news team, as we call them, the the team that is working that will publish breaking news onto the website and onto um, NZB um, radio bulletins work incredibly closely. The news team, um, the programs not so much because the programs are separate and they're a separate part of the business. So, um, so yeah, we do get feedback from time to time. I think you know one of the things that I really like about Premium is that there are a range of people and a range of voices in there, and and I think that's a media company responsibility um, to provide a range of voices and views across our platforms and so but the reality is that we don't there's not a whole lot of um, of you know ZB voices you would say that are constantly 
you know, crowding out the Herald website. They're just kind of not. And so there will be an occasional piece. I mean, Mike, for example, who, as you rightly say, as a juggernaut, does a monthly column for the Herald, which is in print and premium. Um, and, and Kerry McIver, for example, you know, I, she was she's a Herald on Sunday columnist, as is Heather. And so those um, arrangements were in place well before we kind of even moved in together or became um, became um, very physically close and are obviously part of the same company. And, I, and again, they just represent a range of diverse voices. So, look, we don't... We, we absolutely know that not everyone loves all of the voices that we publish all the time, but I think it's really important and vital that we have a range of them. I always kind of think that we're doing not a bad job when we get as much criticism for what people would perceive to be right-wing columnists as we do for left. So that feels to me, as long as we're getting that kind of feedback from both sides of the camp, we're making, you know, we're, we're kind of probably going okay down the middle. Just switching tack slightly, relatively, I mean, it was it was relatively early after the launch of both the spin-off members, which is our uh, reader revenue program and something that we absolutely couldn't, couldn't survive without now, um, and the Herald Premium. We both went through, as organisations, a, a, a Facebook accelerator, which was out of Sydney and provided kind of masterclasses on how to learn this thing. And I always thought it was quite a... There was an irony to it, and that like I thought that the classes and the um, the whole experience was pretty amazing, and the fact they gave you a small grant at the end to sort of execute some of what you learned was brilliant. There was also the implication that you know you're going to need reader revenue because advertising revenue is ours, you know, <laughs> and that that sort of felt like what what Facebook was saying there. And honestly, they're right. You know, it's twenty six billion dollars of revenue in the first quarter this year, their biggest first quarter ever. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, so somewhere between uh, sort of sixty five and eighty five cents of every dollar um, spent on digital advertising, depending on how you account for it, goes to Google and Facebook or Google, Facebook and Amazon. So these programs are. Whatever future we have, and we hope it's a bright and sustainable one, but whatever future online journalism has, will the the heart of it will be um, reader revenue because otherwise because there is just no way you can outcompete super well classified uh, capitalized trillion dollar companies that uh, don't have to pay for the content largely. Mm-hmm. The thing that I recall, and I hope I'm not speaking out of school, is that you you were both head of premium and not on that that journey, uh, you know, on on the accelerator. What what is your personal attitude towards the big technology companies? Because they are super complicated. You know, as much as I enjoyed the accelerator. Facebook about once a week does something where I'm like, I don't know if you should be allowed to be in business. And right. you just have to wrestle with these contradictions as yeah. a human. And look, and as you say, but you know, big complicated um, subject that, you know, we could probably talk for hours on. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I, I'm actually personally kind of quite impressed about the business models and how incredibly clever they've been. I, I suppose I feel like they've grown to a point that no one could have potentially predicted. They have been these huge beasts, right? And so... And, and, you know, the, Facebook particularly, obviously, you know, says it's not a publisher and doesn't behave like that. I I watched with interest in Australia because I – and, again, this is my personal view and, you know, I'm not speaking for NZME on this. My personal view around the Australian situation was that I felt like it's fair and right that there should be a contribution paid by those publishers – not publishers, those tech giants too, publishers for their media content because that seems to be a fair and just thing to do. I think, I think it's interesting to see that from my, you know, readings and looking around the globe, 
it's actually only legislation that prompts you know some of those things to happen and obviously that was the case in Australia and I know here in New Zealand there's um, a desire by um, our you know, by our media um, and um, our government for those um, tech companies to be talking to New Zealand publishers. And, uh, you know, I hope those conversations are starting because I think that that would be a really great outcome if there was contributions made. And I think, you know, I think that, yes, they have, lots of people will point to the fact that um, they are spending some money and they do help and offer in some programs, but it isn't very much, you know, considering A, their revenues and B, what they get in return in terms of our content. So I think that, you know, it would be fantastic if there was some similar arrangement made in New Zealand as there has been in Australia with those publishers. So And so I hope that happens. Do do you, but, I mean, that that would be... And and this is what's happened in Australia is essentially a, a voluntary end run around the threat of regulation, which feels like better than nothing, but also not, not as good as a, a as a regulation. My own personal view is that the that Google and Facebook or Alphabet and Facebook are functionally you know, natural monopolies and should be treated as utilities and um, regulated and, and taxed for. You know, so, so that they can provide, you know, we, we can sand off the dangerous edges. We can be aware of what, you know, having a, having natural monopolies in your society has. Do, do you have a view on what a because what what good look, good regulation would look like? Because I personally feel like the Australian model, while it's desirable for there to be something, I just didn't think that was. Was that did you did you like the Australian model, or is there another one that appeals to you? Well, look, as you say, it's complex, and I don't I don't think I could look anywhere around the world and see something that I would have said that's the answer. And I think that's part of the problem, right? These incredibly huge companies have grown. Um, America hasn't dealt with Facebook at all in a, in a space where it could have. Um, and so, and again, that's because it's complex. I mean, my from my my reading and looking at various situations around the world, Facebook responds when there is legislative pressure on it, right? And so, for example, in Germany when they introduced um, quite hefty fines for a failure to remove hate speech from the site, uh, Facebook responds, you know. So, uh, But I haven't actually seen the an elegant solution anywhere, right, because as you point out, it is difficult. But I do, um, you know, greater brains than mine will be on, on play at it. But I, I don't know if you've seen anything in the world that you've looked to to go, actually, that's a really great and elegant solution. I, I personally haven't seen anything. Um, but I, I, again, you know, legislation is difficult and... You know, times move on and things grow. So, I just think a you know a, a fair um, contribution to sustaining journalism from those companies is the ideal outcome. I don't know how to that if it was easy, it would have been solved by now, right? So, I, I haven't seen something that I've thought elegant and the right thing for us to do. I don't know. Have you? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, to, to my mind, it should just be a uh, some sort of percentage of revenue because they can move their profits very easily right so and you so know percentage of revenue associated with the yeah. corresponding level of traffic from that that country for example yeah or, or just no, just the, the, to, the total revenues associated with with that territory okay yeah you know, almost like a levy that becomes an access fee okay and that that you redistribute by by some mechanism I'd be happy if it was New Zealand on air mm. but um you know, I think that that idea of saying, so say you take a billion dollars out of um, New Zealand, that we might, we know that you make roughly a 40% margin, um, profit margin, so you can probably live without 5% of, of your revenues, you're still making a, a shitload of money mm-hmm. um, out of that country. And that can go towards healing some of the 
you know, the democratic deficit and just the, I mean, it's not just journalism that that, that is, um, you know, you also have all of the, you know, misinformation, misinformation and, uh, you know, like, yeah. so, and then government has to spend to, to pick up that tab and yep. they're not paying tax here in yes. the first place or pay, paying very little. So, you know, that to me is, is relatively elegant and, and not particularly hard to get your head around. I think the hard thing is that, you know, there, there is a desire for it to be a sort of multi-pronged, like potentially an OECD solution. That takes a long time. There is a massive vested interest in the tech companies and taking as long as possible to get that done. Uh, so, you know, every quarter you slow down, you get another, you, you increase your war chest and you, you know, put more water in the moat and it's just harder and harder to... Um, you know, to, to win that arm wrestle. But, yeah, um, absolutely. And look, I think it's interesting. I would, you know, I think too, you know, something for governments and companies in New Zealand to think about too is supporting local, right? Because I would be, I mean, Facebook has obviously got an incredible reach um, and, you know, no getting around that. But so do to all of New Zealand's media companies combined. And I think we all know that, um, you know, yes, targeted advertising on Facebook, so getting in front of the customers you need to get in front of, but also the way Facebook works means that, you know, not everyone that people potentially want to see, they are going to reach on Facebook. So again, there's, you know, opportunities, and I know that happened, you know, after Christchurch and the Christchurch call that some companies and and people acted with with their wallets and supported New Zealand media in terms of advertising. And so, again, I think that that's, um, that's a great thing for people to think about when they're thinking about where they spend their money. Do, have you seen that on the premium side as well? That um, you know, how, how have corporate subscriptions gone for you? Yeah, pretty well. We didn't again. We didn't, as I say, we didn't launch with all the bells and whistles at the beginning, and we did have a lot of corporates at the time telling us we, want, you know, we want the technology to um, have, have a corporate deal, and we were working pretty quickly to get that done. Um, so yes, you get, you know, we, we do obviously now sell corporate subscriptions um, in one of two ways, you know, to either. Um, you know, to, you can either read it just at work or you can read it on your domain um, email address so you can have it kind of a- access all the time. And so we've got um, great, you know, great teams selling that and we get a lot of inquiries and we are tailoring, um, you know, scale. It depends. We've got people that might have bought, you know, have 10 people in their company that want to buy it versus a few hundred in another company. So we've got a great um, team working on that. So, yeah, it was it was very much a loud and clear feedback from the beginning that they were, that a corporate solution was wanted and, and we knew that that was on our roadmap. Map, but the tech, um, you know, the tech, we work with ARC, the Washington Post mm. um, tech company, and, you know, I did not have an appreciation before I became involved with Premium about how massive some of these tech projects and things are and how complex they are, especially when we're adding our print subscribers into the mix. And so it was a very big, complex um, a beast of a thing. And so we introduced corporate subs as soon as we could, and they're going really well. And, and as I say, packages tailored to size of companies. In terms of the, you know, I don't think that there will ever be, and and nor is it necessarily desirable, there will be an end to advertising as part of the, uh, you know, the the commercial media funding model. But you know, how far off is it to where premium will be the dominant? You know, that seems to be of of the really successful. Um, companies which have made the transition, the likes of the FT, New York Times, Mm -hmm. um, Wall Street Journal and so on, that seems to be a real milestone when you start to have 
uh, reader revenue uh, outpacing uh, advertising revenue. Do you have a sense of when that might be for the Herald and what that might do to the Herald when that day comes? Sure. Um, Look, I don't know around timing. I think that one of the things that we have done really well is sustain our print product, and that has been a really um, successful... Yes, yes, while people are um, increasingly not no longer getting a print um, paper, our print sales have held up relatively well over a, over a period of time and, you know, and, and, and still contribute incredibly significant revenues, both in terms of circulation and advertising revenue within those. So it's certainly no way that we can, you know, turn our back on that, and nor do we want to. And look, I think the other thing too, when people ask me about the tensions of the of the um, overall audience and the premium audience, you know, we need a big audience coming to the Herald and really proud of the fact that we are, while maintaining our premium strategy strongly, we are we have been for the last eight months in a row the number one news website in New Zealand. And, and that's really important for premium because we need people to come and, as you say, sample our journalism to see whether they're going to come and become a subscriber. So look, as you say, all the big global publishers that are making a real success of the reader revenue models have increasing. Um, become subscriber first and, and that is kind of a mantra of our subscriber subscriber first I, who knows how long it will take to get into that space entirely but I, you know we're on the journey and that's why we want to make sure that um, we are managing the transition I think one of the things that's been really heartening for me because as I mentioned at the start I've been around a while now and I love newspapers and I love the curated experience of a newspaper magazine or a newspaper edition um, and so one of the things that's been really great with Premium is that not only was it really important to us that we looked after our very loyal um, subscribers, so if you get the paper five days plus, you are you automatically have access to um, Premium content online. Um, and that has actually, interestingly, really reduced our print churn because people, there's a finite space in the paper, right, online, you can get all this other stuff as well. So that has helped us maintain print, but we know that there's a transition period. So Again, if people have wanted to, to to stop getting their print content, we can sell them a premium sub. So it's it's been a real it is a really sensible transition. And and as you know, all those global publishers talk about their combined subscriber audience. So it is print and digital. So we have really ambitious targets in that space, and we know that we're managing a transition. I I don't know how long it'll take us. You know, that's been what was it? The New York Times took eight or nine years. I think I supposed to get there, and we've been on for two years. So it's it's a long journey. Um, but it's really important that we've started. I think. Do you have? Do you feel like you've got the commitment of uh, your executives and your board that they that they stay with this as opposed to kind of getting distracted or impatient, which sometimes is an issue at media companies? Yeah, sure. Look, and I we utterly do. I think it's been um, it's been fantastic to see actually that that is that is there is a real commitment there, and that is there is a real appreciation and understanding of how it will work. I mean, we 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 really thrilled that we've made this much progress so far, and that has then just continued to excite. Um, our executive and board and the investment community so that the, the focus remains totally on and I think um, you know Michael Boggs the CEO um, made a point of saying at the beginning that this was about continuing to invest in journalism so that's something that we hold him to and say you know when we're looking at new kind of strategies and things we're, we're, we're there saying we would like some investment in this space and having a look at it so I, we utterly have a commitment from the board and and you know it, it's con- Herald Premium is contributing significant revenues already to the company's bottom line so they um they see that, know that, and have a commitment to it, and, and uh, you know, completely behind it. Cool. Well, that's all we've got time for today. But thank you so much for coming along, Marie, and good luck with with it. As you say, that you know, as much as there is a competitive dynamic within New Zealand media, the the overall, we we know that we're all sort of in this down through this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, good luck with your. <laughs> with Thanks your for having me. Thanks a lot. 
That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.